Welcome back to BFR Radio. Thanks for joining in. This episode, we are answering your questions. As always, if someone is asking a question, perhaps you may be thinking of it as well. I am actually currently putting together a series on using BFR and cognitive function. There is some really fantastic evidence around how the addition of BFR, whilst exercising with them on, can improve how your brain functions. This is very important as we age and also around the different cognitive ailments that we are becoming familiar with. And also there is not a lot of evidence on concussion, but there is one paper. And perhaps if we extrapolate that paper to a lot of the contact sports that we are seeing the epidemic that is concussions, there potentially is there something that we could be looking at in terms of how we could be improving our processes with athletes who have a concussion. Just as always, a quick BFR product update. We are about to transition to our new style upper body BFR cuffs. They're actually so much easier to put on. And it also takes into consideration those with bigger arms also. And it won't be long until the total transition to the complete rebrand from Sports Rehab Tourniquet or SRT to thebfr.co. I am getting the cases, a new batch of cases are being manufactured with the new logo put on. I'm very excited with that. Little things for me, but I'd like to share it with you as well. Now on to today's questions. The first question is, so I had an ACL Rico last week and am wanting to use my BFR cuffs to help with rehab. When would you say it is safe to start using it post-op? In my opinion, there's actually a few ways we can answer this. Now, firstly, we are assuming that you don't have any pre-existing contraindications to BFR use. And then from this, you need to consider if there are any complications from the surgery, such as DVT and also excess swelling. Once we've overcome these initial preliminary questions and we've got the tip from everyone, we can now get into the answer. If we look to literature before we get into what I think you could be doing. There's actually one paper where BFR has been started as quickly as two days post-surgery. In this study where the cuff was 15 centimeters wide, now that's a, quite a wide cuff if you're familiar with BFR use. The BFR.co brand is 10 centimeters. Katsu is around three centimeters. Anyway, this 15 centimeter wide cuff was inflated to give an occlusion stimulus for five minutes, followed by a removal of the pressure for three minutes. And this was repeated five times in one training session. That's five minutes on, three minutes off, five times through. And what the people did in this study is, is they sat up with the upper body inclined to about 45 degrees and the pressure started at 130 millimeters of mercury and it increased in a pressure of 10 mils of mercury every second day up to a maximum pressure of 180 millimeters of mercury. Good point here that if the occlusive stimulus caused unbearable pain, the subjects were instructed to use the highest tolerable pressure. Really good. So a level of individualization. Now, the experimental group performed the occlusion protocol twice daily, high-frequency training, which is a great way to accelerate your gains, especially post-operative, or also if you're injured and you need to get back onto the pitch pretty quickly. Now, what did they do? They performed quadricep exercises consisting of isometric quadricep contractions, 
And this progressed over the period of time to leg extensions over a knee roll. So it's rolled up a towel. And they also did some straight leg raises. And the patients performed 20 repetitions during each five-minute period of inflation. So this added up to 100 repetitions per training session. And because it was twice daily, 200 repetitions per day. And the occlusion stimulus was stopped 14 days after surgery. Therefore, if it was started two days after, they have a 12-day training program. And they stopped it at 14 days because it gave a couple of days just in case there was any muscle swelling. They didn't want that to interfere with the MRI measurements. What I like about this method is that there's an increase in pressure over the time frame, gives the opportunity for the patient to get used to the pressure. And that's one thing that I instruct when I'm working with clients is that just because we calculate your ideal pressure to be, say, 180 millimeters of mercury, it's a new stimulus and you need to get used to it. And especially after you've had an operation, there's lots of stuff going on. There's still swelling in the joint of some description and you need the body to get used to this new stimulus or new stress, in this case, metabolic stress. Now, also, the other thing I liked is that if the occlusive stimulus cause unbearable pain, the subjects were instructed to use the highest tolerable pressure. And once again, that level of individualization. And I've had, for example, an athlete, we calculated at 145 millimeters of mercury for her lower body. And the most that she could tolerate or she wanted to tolerate was 75 millimeters of mercury. And the outcome that we were looking for, she got that. Therefore, once again, it's a guide. And I think that's really important. So in terms of looking at literature, two days post-surgery, and it follows a normal ACL rehab protocol that you would typically do. Therefore, if you're working with a physiotherapist, is that you would consult with them as what's the most ideal ACL rehab program post, and then you just look at ways of incorporating BFR into that because it's metabolic stress. It's not mechanical stress, so we're actually not doing anything to the structures, which is really good. You just need to be able to tolerate that pressure post-operatively. Which then brings me to the next point, and this is some of my own theories and my own experiences working with myself. I haven't had an ACL, but I've had lots of knee surgeries and working with other athletes. If you actually want to use BFR to its fullest potential in an ACL rehab, you could actually look in doing a couple of other things and really bolster it using lower and upper body. Now, the first one is let's take advantage of the other leg, the good leg or the good knee. And this is where we want to be taking advantage of a concept called contralateral strength effects. Therefore, what that means is that what we're doing on our good side, we can have a slight transfer onto our rehab side and it won't be 100%, but something's better than nothing. And this is where even from day, say day two, you could be looking at more advanced exercises than the rehab side. If, for example, on the ACL side, you'd be doing just your simple quadricep isometric contractions. And on your good leg, you could have your leg, if you're sitting in the bed or if you're sitting on a chair, you could be doing knee extensions or leg extensions. You don't need any weight. You could have a light band or maybe an ankle weight and you'd go nice and slow, really getting that nice contraction through your VMO and your quad. 
And then when you're up and about, as long as you can safely have your operated knee in a position that's not going to get affected, what could you be doing on that other leg? Little mini squats on your good knee, calf raises on your good leg, really trying to take advantage of as much stimulus through that good leg and take advantage of this contralateral strength training effect. Now, also, you could use upper body BFR. And what we're looking at here is taking advantage of systemic effects of BFR. And because the upper body is largely or pretty much unaffected, you can add a little bit more intensity or spice into what you do. And it doesn't have to be anything technical. This is where you'd look at bringing in a resistance band and depends on where your anchor points are. It could be simple as bicep curls, band pull aparts. If you have an anchor point or someone holding onto it, as long as they don't let go, do some face pulls. And it literally becomes up to your own level of imagination. But you can add an extra stimulus in there as well with the upper body. Another thing that you could potentially look at if you really want to maximize what you're doing on the operated knee is that you could add electromuscular stimulation, EMS. Compex is one brand that most people are familiar with. PowerDot is another brand. I know there's lots of different companies out there, but they're some of our more common ones. And you add the electromuscular stimulation with the BFR. So if you're doing your isometric quad contractions, you add the BFR plus the electromuscular stimulation in that acute phases. And what research has shown is that the additive effect of both of them together is much better than either of them by themselves. If in the early stages, for some reason, you've been advised to limit your range of movement in the knee, the use of BFR on the ACL reconstruction side would actually be more passive. And, and the advantage of this is that passive BFR has actually been shown to attenuate or not decrease as much the amount of muscle loss compared to not using BFR. So once again, if you've been told to not move your leg at all or your limb, or let's just say your whole leg is in a cast and you can't do anything, if you would use BFR passively while sitting, something as simple as three minutes on, one minute off, five times, you will have less muscle loss than if you didn't use any intervention at all. And a lot of these studies I've actually covered in previous episodes on BFR radio, but I just wanted to give you the little snippet here to value add to my reasoning as to why this would work. Then in this case here, back to it, if you've been told not to move that reconstruction side, you could be using it passively. And then once again, on that good leg, you put the BFR cuff on, and you do as much as you can with a cuff on, on that good knee, and really get inventive while sitting. And ideally, you'd actually have both cuffs on at the same time. Now, if you can't tolerate on the operated side the same pressure, just decrease it a little bit and build a tolerance up over time. But that good leg, you want to pretty much, in simple terms, go as hard as you can. And as you progress in your rehab, and this is still in that early stage, you could wear the cuffs around the house for this incidental exercise. And this could be including calf raises whilst waiting for the jug to boil or standing VMO contractions while you're waiting for the toast to, to cook. And this incidental exercise really adds up over time. And that's the advantage of BFR because the mechanical stress 
on the structures are really low, you could be doing this twice daily. And to be honest, you could be doing it more than twice daily, depending on how hard you need to accelerate it. Now, this answer only covers that initial stage, and you could really provide an inclusive BFR rehab program through all stages from even pre-surgery to immediately acutely post all the way for ongoing. And if the athletes that you're working with, if you're an athlete that's gone through it, you've got a lot of joint damage. You've got to ask yourself moving forward if strength or well, strength training is still very important rather than trying to, I guess, grind out or wear out that joint using really high loads, you would still use moderately high loads, but not actually put as much mechanical stress through that joint. So you're looking after the joint whilst wearing the cuffs. And I've found in my experiences that the additive effect of wearing the cuffs with still a higher loading, so you could still go 60 to 80% of RM. There's a lot of evidence around using BFR at 90% of one RM. Some great evidence around improved barbell velocity. The advantage here, once again, is, is that you're not putting all that mechanical stress through the joint in the gym. You're still having muscular adaptations from a hypertrophy and a strength point of view, which then enables you to actually then go and do what you need to do for your sport, run around and feel good. And if there's anything specific on ACL and the use of BFR that you'd like me to cover in this podcast, let me know and I'll put something together. I really enjoy putting little series together and, and trying to connect the dots for you. The next question follows on the same theme from that first one on ACL is how would you structure BFR in a week? For example, ACL early post-op. How much would you do in a week? This question was also a bit similar to just general BFR questions around how often can I use BFR in a week? So a bit of two for one in this answer. Specifically, how to structure BFR in a week? I feel this isn't necessarily a straightforward question to answer without specific details and context of the actual athlete. And I think that's really important that we have general guidelines, which are fantastic, but you really need to get down into the detail of the actual athlete or the client that you're working with. However, the following answer may help to shape what you can do. And this also relates to the frequency of use in general BFR use. And as I alluded to earlier, there's loads of evidence on the positive effects of high frequency BFR training. That is using BFR twice a day on consecutive days. Now, ongoing for months, this is actually quite difficult to do. However, because in this acute rehab stage, the sessions are typically quite short. It might be one or two exercises, maybe three. Therefore, because they are short, because the mechanical stress or the mechanical load on the joint and the body is quite low, you can firstly get into the session a lot easier. There's less warm-up sets. In fact, your first set is probably the warm-up set inclusive because mechanical stress or the load that you're using is really low. So for example, you have perfectly healthy knees or perfectly healthy body and you're in the gym and you're lifting really heavy. You need several sets to get into it. But in this case, the load is really low. You're putting the cuffs on and then it could be body weight. You could just be moving through range. 
And then all of a sudden, because there's actually load with the limbs that you're using, is that you're finding within 20 reps that everything's feeling warm, it's feeling activated. If you have any pain, it's dropping. Therefore, you can handle these sessions because they're really short. And that's the great thing about BFR is that even if you're not an athlete and you're a busy professional, you could be putting them on in the morning before you go to work, set aside 15 minutes because you've got to remember also that if you're not an athlete, but you have just spent all this money and time to get your joint fixed, you got to spend the time to rehab it properly. That is just as important for that long-term health of that joint. You don't want to be turning back in a few years' time going, I was a bit lazy on my rehab and now I'm regretting it because my knee's just still not great. Anyway, so in the morning, you get up 15 minutes early or you use your incidental exercise while you're getting yourself ready. Depends on what phase and what you can do. And then when you're finished your day at work or whatever you've been doing, is that you then set aside another 15 minutes. And you're hitting that twice daily, which is a great way to approach that acute phase to ensure that you get great benefits. And also is you don't need a home gym to be doing this. You can be doing it at home. If you need a little bit of load, you don't need much equipment. It could be as simple as a lifting band or some TheraBand that you may get either from your physiotherapist or from your local sports store. Also that high frequency, once again, is great. If you need to accelerate those gains. The rehab pins on your ability to sign another contract, to get back on the pitch in a right amount of time, or just be functional because you've booked a holiday somewhere and you need to be functional to be walking around. So there's lots of good spinoffs about really attacking that initial rehab phase. As I said, high frequency training is quite manageable with those short sessions but make sure that they're short and to the point. If they do drag on and it's going to be twice a day for two weeks, beyond that, it can be quite tiring. Therefore, if you are thinking about doing it, make sure they don't go on for too long. One thing to consider here, especially if you are targeting only one or maybe two exercise, what can actually help the effectiveness of that very first set is doing a warm-up protocol prior to starting. And this concept originates from Katsu, of which BFR is based upon. I had this protocol called Joetsu Katsu, which essentially in BFR talk is a cycle of repeated inflation, hold it for time, and deflation cycles, where the pressure is increased by approximately 10 millimeters of mercury each cycle until you get to that desired pressure. But this is very similar to ischemic preconditioning, where you inflate, hold it for a period of time, deflate, and that's had some really great performance benefits. But what this does is it prepares the vasculature for the upcoming cuff pressure that you're going to perform your exercises with. So it's pretty much a warm up. And if you have people who have never used BFR before, who are a little bit older, or people that are unsure about that occlusive pressure, it's a great way of getting them into their first set and it gets them used to that upcoming pressure. And also when changes in temperature in Australia, it's getting a little bit cooler now. That first set to go to that same pressure, it does actually take a little bit of time to get used to. Therefore, this is a really nice way of starting the session is you have this small warm up of progressive inflation prior to your very first set. Some extra handy hints on starting BFR for the first time. 
Remember the wind training BFR, you should be calculating an individualized training pressure. This is predominantly based upon limb circumference and on a percentage of your limb occlusion pressure. We don't want to be totally occluding blood flow, but if we look towards literature, anywhere between 50 to 80% of the calculated arterial occlusion pressure is what we're looking at achieving. And as I mentioned, limb circumference is the main driver of this. In other words, if you have a big limb circumference, a massive leg, this requires a greater total cuff pressure to occlude blood flow compared to a smaller limb circumference. And once again, we're not totally occluding, but using that as an example to then multiply the total occlusive pressure by 50 or 80%. And some of that comes around what the user can tolerate and also the cuff width as well. And it's important to note that in terms of a cuff width, if you have a, a thinner cuff, you would tend to use a higher percentage, more towards 80% of the calculated arterial occlusion pressure. And the advantage of having a wider cuff is that you can actually use around 50%, so a lower percentage, a lot more comfortable because you're distributing that pressure created by the cuff over a greater surface area. One of the advantages of a wider cuff. And when starting off with BFR training, it's like starting a new training program. For example, if you were starting a new squat program, you don't jump into 10 sets of 10 straight away. You build up and you get used to it over time. Same thing with using BFR. I will increase the pressure over a couple of weeks. I would tend to start 20 mils of mercury and then increase it and also increase total time of use. Now, low load BFR, we want to have continuous pressure. Upper body, 15 minutes total in one occlusive period of time and lower body around 20 minutes as well. However, if you've had someone that has never used BFR before and you know that BFR is going to be really useful for them, you want to ensure that they have a positive experience. So therefore, if you crank the pressure up to whatever you calculated, if you said we've got to stay 20 minutes and we've got to do 30 reps followed by three sets of 15 and they've never exercised before, you may actually lose them in terms of using BFR as an intervention. You may actually put them off it. In academic studies, there's academic rigor around what they have to do. Therefore, this is the protocol. Otherwise, it won't go through a peer-reviewed process and it won't get published. They want to get this stuff published and they need to have a protocol that they stick with. However, in the real world, we have people who enjoy this type of training. We have people who are not quite sure about it. So you need to help sell this to them that it's going to be a positive benefit for them. Therefore, you've got to be a coach for them and you can't just have a one-size-fits-all. This is individualized and if you want to have a long-term approach to it, take a couple of weeks to get them used to the pressure because you also you want to know that the next day or two days after, that they're okay, that they're not too sore, that the pressure was correct. Hopefully that clears up that question. I elaborated a little bit more and I didn't go into specifics, but hopefully it gives you some ideas around what to consider when you're starting to use BFR, in this case, in an ACL. In other words... You stick to your normal ACL rehab program, but you can be really inventive 
with accelerating the improvement in muscle growth and muscle strength in that operated side and in your good leg, take advantage of your good leg and your upper body as well. And there's some great ways you can be inventive in that, which actually then feeds into my last point for today's podcast, which isn't really a question, but it was something I did for a video recently on why I use BFR for muscle injuries. And, and I may have actually done a BFR radio short, but I think it fits in nicely with this as to why do I prescribe BFR in a high frequency manner when someone is injured, uh, in particular soft tissue injury. And I've got to say, I've seen some almost unbelievable responses when using BFR for soft tissue injuries. I'm sure I've mentioned this uh, uh, quite a bit, but on previous podcasts, an athlete that I coached, Cedric Dubler, decathlete, we were able to rehab a grade two hamstring tear. And within 12 days, he ran at 95% of his maximum speed. So this is an Olympian. He runs 10.6 for the 100 for decathlete is good. And so he had to run at 95% over 60 meters within 12 days. And then within three weeks, he competed a full decathlon. That's 10 events over two days. No problems at all with the hamstring. Absolutely amazing. And normally, if someone would have this hamstring soft tissue injury, it would be a six-week minimum rehab time frame. Now, I'm going to try to explain this in a nice and easy-to-understand way so you can understand the mechanisms and the processes. So when you injure a muscle, your body's immune system triggers a healing process, which involves complex cell signaling pathways, cellular types, and hormonal triggers. These processes are activated via tension or mechanical overload, or what we would think in a normal terms, load that we could lift, put on a bar, load such as dumbbells. However, during the early stages of a traditional rehab strength program, as we could all attest to, it's really difficult to create sufficient mechanical stress or tension due to the damaged muscle and sometimes due to the damaged structures. Now, the advantage of Wearing BFR cuffs during strength training using low loads, it's been shown that the subsequent increase in metabolic stress by wearing the cuffs on the limbs whilst exercising can provide the necessary stimulus to activate the same signaling pathways, cellular types, and hormonal triggers that was previously only activated by higher load training. Amazing, but how does it work? When you injure a muscle, your immune system comes into action to start the healing process. Think of your immune system as an army of soldiers ready to fight off any invaders. When you injure a muscle, the first soldier to arrive are called neutrophils. These soldiers release cytokines that call for more immune cells to come and help. And one type of immune cell that is called to action are the monocytes or macrophages. Monocytes and macrophages play a really important role in muscle remodeling. When muscle tissue is damaged, monocytes are recruited to the site of the injury. These cells are like the garbage trucks of your body. They help clean up all the debris and foreign particles left behind from the injury through a process called phagocytosis. 
Phagocytosis is like vacuum cleaner, sucking up all the mess in your muscle. And during muscle remodeling, the phagocyte cells or macrophages are not only recruited to the damaged area to remove the debris, but they also initiate the healing process. As the macrophages clean up the mess, they release myogenic factors, and this helps stimulate the growth of new muscle cells called myoblasts. Think of myoblasts like little construction workers who help build the new muscle. The myoblasts then turn into myotubes, which are like the building blocks of your muscle. Finally, cytokines are the signaling molecules that play this crucial role in muscle remodeling, yelling out, saying, come on, let's come and rebuild and remodel some muscle. And these messages tell your body what to do, which is a really important process for muscle growth and repair. Furthermore, the pro-inflammatory cytokines released by the immune cells can stimulate anabolic signaling, which lead to muscle hypertrophy and regeneration. Therefore, BFR strength training is not only effective for building muscle and increasing strength, which I think we're all accustomed to, all the research typically shows, but it actually has a tremendous potential for enhancing recovery from muscle injuries. And hopefully by understanding the role of the immune system and how BFR can activate the necessary cell signaling pathways, you too can hopefully understand a little bit more as to how you could use this tool to accelerate your recovery from a muscle injury. Once again, I'm actually really continually amazed at how well BFR works for soft tissue muscle injuries. As always, if you're interested in knowing more or you want me to cover a specific topic in this or in any area of BFR or training in particular, please let me know. And that's where I'm going to leave it for this episode. I hope this has helped you understand more of the applied ways to use BFR. And if you do have those specific questions, you can contact me through our website, which is www.thebfr.co. Instagram is at thebfr.co and our Twitter is at thebfr underscore co. In closing, if this episode has sparked your own interest in starting an exercise regime, get in touch with me through my website, which once again is thebfr.co or my socials at thebfr.co. And you can also purchase your own set of BFR cuffs from our website. And lastly, before I go, a couple of favors from me to you. If you know someone who would benefit from this episode, please share it. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please give it a ratings on iTunes. I would really appreciate that. Thanks for listening. See you in a couple of weeks. And remember to keep the pump.